Well, you think that the subject of love today is some kind of feel-good, warm and fuzzy, easy subject to talk about, kind of a sermon light because we're talking about love, then you have totally misjudged the power there is in love. Because love above all things is the one thing the enemy wants to eliminate from our life. He can, he want, he can get us busy. He can get us preoccupied. He can get us doing a bunch of religious stuff. But if he keeps us from loving the way God wants us to love, then he knows that he's eliminated a powerful, powerful force, the most powerful force in the world. Well, we're on the second week of Advent today. And Advent means coming. It remembers the coming of our Lord through the incarnation. And it also declares that he's, he's coming again. So we're preparing our hearts for the Christmas season and specifically for our Christmas Eve service. And each week we're looking at a subject. Last week we talked about hope. And this week we're talking about the very important subject of love. And what I want us to do is I want us to get our shovels out. I want to start digging deep on this one subject and say, God, show us anew. Show us in a fresh way your perspective on love. Because nothing is more powerful. Nothing is more powerful because love is the essence of who God is. And all types of things are going to remind you about Christmas every day from the decorations in your house to all of the cultural, uh, cultural tools that reminds us that it's Christmas. And I want you to understand that those remembrances are telling you over and over and over again that God loves you. God loves you. Every other religion is about man trying to earn God's love. Christianity is about us receiving God's love. We love because God loved us first. We love not because we've earned it. We love because we reflect it. We're a mirror of God's love. And the Christmas season makes that so clear to us. And on this second Sunday of Advent, Advent, we look at that subject of love and say, God, let us reflect our love back to you. I think of 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most familiar scripture in Christianity. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loved, so he gave. Jesus, in the form of man, became an embryo, was placed in the womb of Mary, went through the birthing process, went through the maturation process, spent 30 years in obscurity, spent three years revealing the truth of God, and then willfully laid down his life. It's all about love. All about love because he loves you and he wants you to reflect his love. Well, speaking of love, I got to tell you about an amazing, amazing occurrence that I saw happen with my own eyes. I went to a wedding a few years back. And at this wedding, I was uh, just an attender. Typically these days, over the last decade, anytime I go to a wedding, uh, I'm the one officiating it. So this was different for me because I was just attending the wedding and, and getting to experience everything in the audience. And the wedding was shaping up to be typical. Exactly what happened. Some of the same pre-wedding music, 
And I could see the lineup ready to go. Grandmas, moms, sorority girls, same thing. Here we go again. And so we're ready for the wedding. And all of a sudden the groom steps out. The groom steps up and he calls the attention of the crowd. And he gave the most amazing speech. I don't remember the exact words because it's been some time, but I still remember the heart of what he said. And I remember how it caught my attention. In essence, he said something in this regard. He said, I want you to know before the ceremony starts that what's about to happen means something to me. He went on to give this outstanding speech about what this wedding meant to him. And how, how this was more than a ceremony. He was putting his heart into it. And I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. In fact, I'm kind of thinking, man, I wish I would have thought about this about 10 years ago. Because <laughs> this guy is smooth. Look over, Beth tearing up. And it was just a, it was just a magical moment. I mean, I, I, I was impressed. We talked about it at the reception. And we, you know, we, we thought, wow, man, that young man, what a sharp young man. I can't believe someone of his maturity to understand the gravity. Boy, it seemed like a a real, real demonstration of love. But tragically, I hate to tell you this, that in a short couple of years, that young man, he abandoned his bride. It wasn't like one mistake or something stupid that he did. Over a long period of time, he abdicated his responsibility as a husband and as a man and was completely unwilling to participate in that marriage. I think about that, that that night, impressive. Whoa, dude, you're you're smooth, that's good. But there there was no meaning behind what he said and now those words hurt me when I think about them. And it reminds me of my first observation that I wanna make to you today is that not what love is, but love, what love isn't. Love isn't mere words. Love isn't cheap words. Love isn't, as the screen says, easy words. Love isn't just about saying something. Love is about having some meaning behind it. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse one says it this way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So without love, it's just noise. It's nothing significant. My boys, they spent a lot of time with the church as part of the price of being a pastor's kid. There's some good things that come from being a pastor's kid. Hopefully I'm a nice guy and stuff at home. But they spend a whole bunch of time here. And so sometimes when you spend so much time at a place, even though it's not your home, it can feel like your home. And even this morning, you know, I'm about eight o'clock, I'm walking down the hall and in this hall that's right behind this wall here, the guys have a football and they've not only taken off their shoes, but they've taken off their socks and they, they've rolled up their jeans. They look like Huckleberry Finn and Mark Twain playing toss in our hallway. And I was like, no, sir, Reed, get back to my office and get your shoes on. We're in the house of God. 
So for whatever reason, it just, you know, I don't know, on the way to the men's Bible study, I just didn't want to just see my barefooted boys in the hallway playing. So that's just kind of how it is, you know, that these guys are, are here all the time and that's just their life. And so they get really comfortable here. And so occasionally something happens. And I'm going to tell you that one of my boys has broken a rule around here. And I want to tell you that right now because the administrator in me wants to make a qualifier because your kids can't do this because my kids aren't supposed to do this. But it does happen that 30 to 45 minutes after a service when this room is dark, one of my boys will sneak in here. And there's this amazing machine up here that is not just a drum set. It's the drum set. Not, not the journey's drum set, not the drum set upstairs in the loft where our youth meet. It's the main drum set. So one of my boys, he sneaks up there and he, he grabs these, these sticks and just starts beating away. I mean, he just, boom. I mean, it's like five hours of tension. He's been at the church for five hours and he's going to let it all out on this, this drum set. I want to tell you, it is the most awful sound you've ever heard. I mean, it is just disastrous. And so, so some months ago, one of our drummers, Colby Miller, we, we started hiring him to give some drum lessons and, and uh, we need to do that again. We've kind of got, got out of the rhythm of that. But when Colby was working with him, started noticing when he did break protocol and do that again, that it actually sounded like something. It sounded, it sounded appealing. It sounded like it was going somewhere. It wasn't just noise. And I think about that in relationship to 1 Corinthians 13, 1. And we can read that again. It says, if I, have, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see what love is. Love is our drumbeat. And love is our rhythm. You know, everything we do is just noise unless we're in rhythm with the heart of God. Everything's noise unless we're in rhythm with the word of God. Everything is just noise unless we're in rhythm with the community of God. But when we're in, in rhythm with who God has revealed himself to be and his word and his spirit, then he can take the noise of our life and it's something beautiful. It's something progressing. It's something that's going somewhere. So it is that we realize that love is not just mere words. It's not just noise. It's it's something beyond that. It's the essence of who we are. It's the essence of what's happening. I grew up in a, in a church that was right next to a big uh, Christian broadcasting network. I don't want to tell you what the name of the network is, but I'm going to give you the initials. It's TBN. You might not figure out which network that is, but that's just what it is. Now, ironically, that was in Irving, Texas. And ironically... Now I pastor in Hendersonville, Tennessee. For some, for some reason, TBM's following me around the nation. I don't know what the deal is with that. But um, we, we came from a really good church, and there was an era in our church where we had a lot of the TBN people at our church. Now, since that time, uh, my pastor doesn't do that anymore. It's been like 20-something years since that's happened. And I will just say for the record, as of this point, I've never been inside a building at TBN. I just felt like I wanted to qualify uh, that saying that. And here's one of the reasons why. As a lot of these guests that would come in, I mean, they were, they were good. They could preach. And they, they were 
spectacular. And they could even manifest the power of God in some exciting and legitimate ways because the power of God is real and God wants to move through his people in signs and wonders. He does, that is, that's for today and that's real. And so some of that would happen. And I would tell some of my high school, early college age friends, you gotta come hear this guy. You gotta come to my church. And these same guys were working in restaurants. And as the story would unfold, it would happen too, more often than I, I wish to say that they would say, oh yeah, you remember the guy you said that was so awesome and was so powerful? Yeah, they were a jerk at the restaurant. They were pompous, they were arrogant, they weren't kind. And so it is that, that love means more than spectacular religion. And I want to say that's my second observation. Love isn't spectacular religion. That's not what love is. I hope you know that God moves in a spectacular way and he moves in power and he, the anointing brings in wonderful things. But if you don't love, those things don't matter. Why? Look at verse two, 1 Corinthians 13. It says it this way. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a, all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. That's 1 Corinthians 13 too. So according to this scripture, if um, I can speak prophetically into your life, but I'm a jerk at the restaurant, I'm a nobody. If um, I have all kinds of knowledge and mystery, but I'm not polite to my very family and show them love, I'm nothing. If I have faith to move mountains and impress you, but I don't have common courtesy that manifests the fruit of the Holy Spirit, look at those words, I am nothing. Love isn't the spectacular. Love isn't spectacular religion. Love is more than that. You see, I'm breaking down some things because we don't find out sometimes who we are until we find out what we're not. And love isn't just spectacular religion. Here's the third thing I want to observe with you, that what love is not. This is a little trickier statement. Love isn't personal sacrifice. And I guess maybe a better way to put this is love isn't only personal sacrifice. Because there's other scriptures that do say if we love without action, our love is dead. So, so yeah, I, I want to say that that statement by itself is incomplete. But stick with me here for a second. And I want us to look at verse 3. Verse three says it this way. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. There's another powerful statement. If I give away everything I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We've all known people, and I've been this person before, who will give, 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 
a sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And all my hard work and all my sacrifice and all my giving is an excuse for me to not really love the way God wants me to love. It's almost like an act of service is, you know, is, is a pass card to love. I don't, I don't really have to love you because I'm doing stuff for you. And here's the reason we have to be careful. And I want to acknowledge the truth is that I would say the majority of us, our love language comes through acts of service. And so that's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing when that act of service glorifies you and doesn't glorify God. Here's where it's subtly different. Sometimes we can do what the scripture says. I'll give away all that I have. I'll even deliver my body to be burned because I am awesome. And after I do this, you're going to feel really bad that you didn't treat me better. You see where I was going there? We, we, we give and give everything we have, but we're really glorifying ourselves. We give everything we have, but we're trying to make other people feel bad. Or, or we're trying to have an advantage of other people. And I just say that God wants us to realize that love isn't only personal sacrifice. It's personal sacrifice that we don't get the credit for. It's personal sacrifice that isn't to our benefit. I struggle with this and, and leading a church body. And last month we, we gave away a significant amount of, of Thanksgiving dinners at the Goodwill parking lot. And that all happened because you gave. It all happened because of your donations. So there's a responsibility to inform donors and not all of you were able to be there to physically give it away, but you were part of it. And so I use social media to say, hey, an hour before the event, people are lined up. We're giving things away. You know, people are here. Here's the picture. Here's what's going on as a way to inform our body. But there's also this other part of me, and I'm seeing it in a lot of churches and a lot of pastors or spiritual leaders who want to say, we want you to know that we have humbly given away thousands of meals for Thanksgiving because our church rocks and we're the best church in town. You see the difference? It's, it's, a, it's a way to, to, yes, give, but at the same time, we want to promote our church with that service. It's a way to give, but same time, we're trying to make ourselves look good. And then that goes down to our personal life. And, you know, for those of you who are on Twitter and Facebook, you can get your phone out. Just dropped off my angel tree back at Kroger because I love the humble Christmas giving. Send. So is it about giving the gift or is it about letting ever, all your friends know you gave the gift? You see the tension there is. That giving and even personal sacrifice can be to our benefit. I've given everything away. And even sometimes in some of our theology, if we're not important, we, we give to get if, we're not, if, if we don't let the spirit lead us in that area. We gotta be careful. We give so we can look better and we can look more significant. That's not what love is. Love isn't giving to get back or love isn't giving to get more credit or love isn't giving to give more glory. And so as we're following the text, we see that. I can give everything. I can give everything to the poor. But if I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. 
So, so what is love? I gave you three things. I said, what love is not. Well, what is love? It's really simple. Love is Jesus. Period. Love is Jesus. 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 8 says it this way. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Look at those last words. God is love. That is who he is. Jesus being the manifestation of God on this earth is love. He doesn't, he doesn't choose to love it sometimes. He is love himself. And so now we follow the narrative to verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. And the scripture that, speaking of weddings, have been read in so many weddings. And I've read this dozens of times both in personal devotion and in wedding ceremonies and in sermons I've preached. Every time I've read the scripture, it's impacted my life. It's then gonna impact my life during this service just like it did the first service because it's so powerful. First Corinthians chapter 13, starting with verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not proud or is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It goes on to talk about things that will end in heaven. Prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. Obviously, that's talking in another age when when the Lord has established his new heavens and new earth. Go back to verse four, and you might've done this before, inserting your own name, but it's always hard to do that. But let's insert Jesus's name here because it'll let you know love is Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on its own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never ends. Love is Jesus. Love is Jesus. And in this Advent Christmas season, love has come to you. Love is showing himself over and over and over again. And it's powerful. It's powerful. And every Christmas remembrance is a way for you to remember that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I think about Romans 5, 8. That talks about about this great love that Jesus has for us. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The message version says this in, in an equally eloquent way. I don't know if we, if, did I put that in there or not? The message version? Romans 5, 8 says, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son and sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Isn't that great to know? That's a Christmas story. He put his love on the line for us by offering his son and sacrificial death while we were no use whatever to him. Let's pray together. God, I come before you and love you and I just thank you and I praise you. 
I want to ask that our ushers go ahead and begin to position themselves because in a few minutes we're going to take communion. I want you to know something. God spoke this to me in the first service, but, but I want you to hear it right now. This moment, this service is a gift to you. You don't have to go to church. You're not obligated to go to church necessarily. You get to go to church. And this service is a moment, this, this service is a gift to you today. God is causing the busyness of your life to fade away right now. He's causing the chaos. I know a lot of us have chaos this week. Our students have a very challenging week. Those of you who are in education will be right there with them. Many of you, you've got to reach a certain quota in sales or you've got to close something up. And this is, this is intense week. The appointments are piling up. This is a gift to you right now. The Lord has given you a gift and he's saying right now, I want you to know my love. I want you to experience my love. I want you to know that Christmas season, the Advent season, I'm preparing for my coming. And God is with us. One of the beautiful words that we use that we know that we call him, the, in, the, the Jesus, the incarnation of God, we call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us doesn't mean he was with us in Bethlehem and so we, we historically remember us. God is with us means that God is with you in that tough meeting you faced this week. And God is with you in those challenges you have in your marriage. And God is with you uh, when you're trying to relate to that child. And God is going to be with you as you try to accomplish every task that's in your heart right now. And God is with you in Hendersonville and in Gallatin and in Goodlettsville and in Nashville just as much as God was with us in Bethlehem. God is with you. He cares about your work. He cares about your school. He cares about your relationships. And God is with us. God is with us. One of the things we do, we do many things when we celebrate communion. But when we take the bread and we drink the cup that symbolizes his flesh and blood, we are saying the presence of God is with us. The presence of God is with us. He's not distant. He's not uncaring. We don't have to wonder if, if we'll ever get to God. God is with us. He's with us in our vehicles. He's with us in our homes. He's with us in our office. He's with us wherever we're aware of him. He is Emmanuel and he's right there with us. That is the story of the incarnation. Just as Jesus was with Mary and Joseph, so Emmanuel is with us now with us today. In a moment, you'll have the bread and cup come your way. If you don't want to take communion, you can let it pass. You're under no obligation. But we take communion with a seriousness.